This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, my name is Odile Rougeur. I'm the founder of Fab Ventures, Seed Stage, and the founder of Fab Community. For me, it's a matter of conscious living. The concept of community has become ubiquitous in the ecosystem of brands. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. It's a requisite box to check for marketing and fundraising, but community is powerful. It's often very elusive. Real community exists to serve a purpose, creates value for all stakeholders, and requires constant nurturing coupled with a highly refined ability to listen. For charismatic leaders, it's often a byproduct of how they navigate the world. There are tactics that can be deployed to build community, but success often requires an innate ability and generosity of spirit. For Odile Raoul, founder of Fab Co-Creation Studio Ventures, creating connection within her vast network is second nature. Odile is the ultimate connector, and community building is just one of her superpowers. So, Avdil, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Kelly. So, Avdil, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Kelly. Yeah. So, you know, I want to start a little with your background because your experience is really quite unique. You have kind of a depth of knowledge in both big beauty and technology. Most recently as the former Lancome CEO and former CDO of telecommunications leader Orange. And while beauty tech has become a growth sector, not many people have the ability to comfortably navigate these two worlds which is interesting because it leaves a lot of opportunity on the table, I think. Can you share a little bit about your background? Yes, with pleasure. I always say that uh, I was lucky enough to spend uh, nearly 20 years of my life, you know, in the cosmetic industry. And you learn from this industry to uh, have an attention to details. And at the same time, there is a pace of innovation and new products that is, I would say, pretty fast. Compared to that, I've been in the telco industry, and it's more about tech, API, platforms, data, and the pace of innovation is fast, but at the same time with a lot of risk assessment. It's more an engineer thinking compared to MBAs. And when you learn from both worlds, I think I'm obsessed by uh, the experience and the fact that people enjoy the products and are inspired by a brand. That's what I've learned from Lancôme, uh, Chanel, and Yves Saint Laurent uh, as one of the brands that I've been uh, lucky to be uh, a C-suite level executive with. And at the same time, learning also to make sure that the knowledge of the customer serve them for the best, which is more the tech part that I've learned uh, later. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's interesting that you've decided to go sort of into the investment side of things rather than sort of leadership on the brand side, because I'm sure there's no shortage of brands that would love to to sort of have you at the helm. But what was the impetus for sort of making that pivot? In fact, the Silicon Valley, um, it's five years now that I've been living in California, uh, has plenty of strengths, as you know, and especially the fact that there are a lot of VCs. But most of these VCs are obsessed by tech and SaaS and not that much by consumer brands. 
And I had so many people asking me some advice and asking me some investment as a business angel that I was thinking maybe before the 2 million revenues in consumer brands, there is a place where I could add value to these people. And it's not just mentorship that they need. It's also uh, the money, you know, to, to yes. build what they've got in mind. So before launching your fund, you launched and cultivated the fab fashion and beauty tech community. Without a doubt, from a tactical perspective, you could have bypassed this step and just gone straight to investment. But knowing you a little bit, I have a feeling that there was a master plan behind that step. <laughs> so can you share your thinking behind why building the community before launching the fund was so important? In fact, to be honest, Kelly, you know me well, but that was not planned. It was more as a mentor because I had so many people asking me to improve their deck and to have insight that I was thinking that my impact was not huge because 30 minute conversation with a founder is not helping them to, to have a shift in their culture or to build something different and to help them that much. So I believe at that time that building on the meetup app in San Francisco, something where these people more obsessed by fashion, beauty, and bronze, if they will meet together, they will learn together. And after three months, we had 400 people. And now I think 7,000 founders have met in 15 chapters because the beauty of the Silicon Valley is you've got people from all around the world. The idea is not founders pitching VCs because there are a lot of meetings like that, as you know, in San Francisco or in Palo Alto, but the reverse, more to say, we've got an adult conversation and we learn from each other and we respect each other and we show it's a long-term partnership. So from time to time, we invest guest stars, such as the founder of Ipsy, Jennifer. It can be um, Dishani Mira from Neven. It can be great people like Matt Scanlan in, in sustainability and fashion in New York. But it's also emerging voices and new founders in seed stage that share what they've got as challenges and try to learn from each other. So that was not a plan, but uh, I've learned from that to listen to different voices and uh, to, to see that, in fact, people have superpowers, but the best founders are the ones that are self-aware and build a strong team around them. So that's pretty much like in leadership in corporations. It's quite the same. Yeah. You know, you launched your fun Fab Ventures at the end of July, right? In May 2020. Yes. Closing, yeah. First closing. Yeah, so mid-pandemic, you know, and you've already made a number of investments. And your choice of investments is really fascinating to me and incredibly forward-thinking. You know, you. I, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I, everyone talks about how investors have a bit of a herd mentality where everyone is kind of throwing money at the same things. But in a short period of time, you kind of have this very diverse portfolio of some ideas that are kind of really thought-provoking. So I'd love to understand your insight or get some insight into your business thesis that's sort of driven your investment choices up to this point. When I choose the founders, most of the time I try to see if they fix a big problem. So when I say that, that, that can be an underserved need, that can be a very specific population, and they're the best at doing that. So most of the time, they have a community that they build before even launching products or services. So if I give an example, Stitch Fix, when I talk to them, Cynthia was telling me, hey, you know what? We're about fertility tests, ovulation tests, and pregnancy tests. And uh, the insight is that I met my uh, future mother-in-law, an ex-boyfriend at the Walgreens. And when you learn that, you understand that 
all the embarrassing problems of women can be fixed, but you don't want people to know that and to be aware. So the online business then is making sense. It can be David Yee, that is an activist and a proud Asian American, is about gender fluidity and is about to launch his new line, taking all the insights of the Asian beauty and making it available for uh, women and, and men. It can be about the true clean beauty, because, you know, as an ex-executive uh, in corporations, uh, you know me, I, I'm pretty upset when I see some founders, even if they're authentic and sincere in their purpose, that are not testing in the right way their products. So, for instance, Elsa Youngman, that is uh, just having a baby, by the way, is uh, building a movement of women in science and female founder to help other founders to understand better what they do with the products. So all of them have something in common is they have a purpose and they try to impact people's life for the better. I had a conversation with one of your founders recently, and she commented that you're all in when you make an investment and you bring far more than capital to the table and that you've actually, yeah. yeah, I tried, I I tried my best. (laughs) No, you know, literally we, we had like kind of a 10 minute like love fest about Odile. (laughs) One of the things that she remarked on was that you've sort of put all your founders together and created kind of a mini community among them. That's the beauty of the COVID period. We use Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, right? But, you know, I think, you know, her point was that it was so meaningful to her and it felt like not only that you really cared, but that nurturing this sense of community is really important because a founder's life can be really lonely at times. True. There can be good days and bad days and you're pretty much alone because you need to look good with your stakeholders and investors and your uh, employees or co-founders. So I try to make this meeting like where they learn from each other. And you can have people super good at the supply chain. For instance, thousand fell about sustainable sneakers. You can learn from them. And at the same time, when you're Akis Air and K18, and you have built your community and you're growing even in China, you can learn from them about Tmall or things that will happen to other founders. So we try to use the skills of each of us and to try to learn together, which is pretty exciting. And we're happy to meet each other. Like, I'm happy to see you. <laughs> so the, the Zoom thing is the great thing is that uh, you can, uh, with video, uh, having the feeling that you see your friends and that you can build things together. Just from sort of a tactical position or comment, you know, when do you usually come in as an investor? It's fairly early stage, is it not? And what are the sort of size of investments that you make? Just so we're, you know, I think very often a lot of conversations happen and there's kind of a mismatch of the money and and scale. So, you know, and deals don't happen that way. (laughs) True. So I invest a ticket of 250K as an average, and I can go to half a million. But most importantly, I try to take when people are ready to launch the products. So that means, for instance, I invested in Bubble, teenage uh, skincare, mm-hmm. before the launch. Uh, the same for Very Good Light. But most of the time, what I see is making sense for me and is relevant because I check very carefully that the products are done the right way. <laughs> Pretty obsessed by my past experience. So I will say early revenues, it can be 30K per month to 50K. So I could be perceived as a super business angel because most of the time when I enter, I try to check with my friends VCs that are bigger than me that it could make sense for them later because I want to make sure that when I invest, this founder, even if the obsession of raising money is not the right one, 
if they need money to scale, they could have the money to scale and uh, I could help them with connections. That's super mm -hmm. important for me. That's part of the value added in addition to the skills I've got. Yeah. On that point of raising money and or perpetually raising money, you know, you've been pretty vocal on the, the sort of the flawed unicorn business model, you know, raising a boatload of venture funding, playing the valuation game, focusing on growth at any cost and spinning a narrative that profitability is achievable with enough scale. I think that's played itself out. You know, it always kind of defied logic to me, but, you know, I am kind of a branding marketing person. I'm not a finance person, so I thought maybe I was missing something. But can you share your thoughts on this? Do you really think this unicorn thinking is kind of in our rearview mirror, so to speak? So as you know, there are not a lot of unicorns in any vertical, by the way. So it's tough to be a unicorn. But some of the founders are building things that will become global, platforms. So I strongly believe that the future belongs to people that understand their community and leverage the data. I think the, the misunderstanding in the last four years, maybe, as you know very well, the, uh, the ecosystem, uh, Kelly, is that maybe some of the VCs in uh, SaaS were excited by the beauty exits with big corporations such as Unilever or Procter or Weaver. And uh, thinking, oh, it's easy. A little like when I arrived as a telco company with a lot of engineers, they were all saying to me, oh, you are the CEO of Lancome. That must be easy to develop some lipsticks and fragrances. And they were a little, you know, despising me. And then thinking, oh, she's smart. <laughs> so pretty much the same, I would say. They were thinking, oh, pretty easy game. And I think they were the one to put crazy valuation. Because as you know, SaaS business, even if you do 2 million revenues, you can have a valuation that is pretty impressive because you're fixing things, but there are not that many costs and not many things to fix as an experience. I think there were also a lot of people coming from food and beverages and thinking that the beauty and wellness category was a piece of cake. Yeah, <laughs> and I again, would agree. I believe that beauty is about inspiring people, making sure that there is an experience between online and in-store. And it's tough. It's like a little, uh, like founders like Airbnb will say that they took a lot of months and years to fix the experience before scaling. So that's all my point. And I believe in the founders that are not obsessed by raising. They are just raising what they need to scale their company. And when they're ready to do that, they're in the right mind. Because normally when you build a company, you're not obsessed by the exit. You're obsessed by how you impact people's life. And then if you do a lot of money, good for you. But first and foremost, you try to do something good for the world. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but very often when people approach me and the first thing they talk about is their exit strategy before they even have a name or something in a jar, it's like a massive red flag to me because it's just too hard to build these businesses. I think you're right. We're here in the long term. It's more people that believe, you know, like a couple in life, a partner in life, you don't choose the person to have great moments just in a few months, but it's four years. So I believe that the best strategy for investors and founders is to think, hey, if we see each other in 15 years, even if the ROI may be in seven years, we should be good. I know that you sort of have that long-term approach, sort of a seven to 10-year perspective on your investments, which I think is much more realistic. And even if you take a historic perspective, a lot of those big indie success stories like It Cosmetics and Bare Essentials, they weren't overnight success stories. And they also didn't sort of raise a ton of money to get there comparatively to kind of what's happening today. How do you think brands should be thinking about fundraising, in your opinion, kind of in this current environment? 
we come back to what's going on at the moment, especially in this COVID period. If you build first your community and your brand with a unique tone of voice and territory and have great products that people repurchase because they like them, then all your fundamentals are healthy. It can take more time for some founders compared to others because you need a magic touch that is the virality at the moment, especially with the cost of acquisition that are crazy on Facebook and Instagram. But at the same time, if you manage that your community advocates that help people to be educated, to learn, and not only have products, but have a content that they can share, then you should grow and find a way. So we come back to fundamentals. If we talk about brands that have been built during many years, Charlotte Tilbury, uh, Anastasia, Beverly Hills. Uh, I remember when I've been uh, the deputy general manager in the US in 2003, we were already talking about how she was building the corners. and, and So if you're very good at doing something, then people see it. Yeah, and I would also say community is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. It's kind of one of those boxes people feel like they need to check. But building a community, it's a lot of work and you can't purchase a community. It's actually sure. about relationships. But I think one of the interesting things to me in this time is that community, if it's built correctly, also future-proofs your brand because the brands that are kind of making it through this kind of financially very difficult time, like their communities are behind them. Their communities Absolutely. are committed to their success. That's funny what you say, because uh, I invested in Brightly, eco-conscious uh, marketplace. And at the beginning, mm -hmm. I was hesitating because they've got beauty and wellness and uh, fashion, but they've got also home, food and beverages. But I was super impressed by both of them because they've got a huge community on TikTok and Instagram. But they've got also their scouts. What they call their scouts is ambassadors that test the products and give them review and they curate the content. And the way they, the other day I was attending to a clubhouse meeting that they did as a conversation about, you know, conscious beauty and fashion. And that's amazing to see founders like that because they're exactly doing and executing what you say. They've got this North Star that is about what do I build for this community and how do I educate the people And by the way, I can help them to choose the products that are right for them. Yeah, and it becomes more than a transaction, more than selling people products. I think brands today need to create value for not their – I don't even want to call them consumers for sort of these people who, who love what they do. And I think, you know, we went through this period of, I don't know, I guess call it fast beauty, if you will, where everyone was kind of obsessed with speed to market and there was – kind of the quality and the time it takes to get a product right kind of went out the window for a period. And now I think we're kind of back to kind of a more traditional way of brand building, which is truly building a brand. And that's thinking about all the touch points, but also making sure that your product proposition is right. The formulas work, the packaging works, that it's not this iterative like in and out of SKUs. That's funny because I was thinking of Bloomy, for instance, Rebecca Alvarez. Mm -hmm. She's about sexual wellness. And uh, at the beginning, as my generation as veteran, we've got a lot of taboos. We don't talk that much about it. And uh, she convinced me because she said to me, if you can read my mail about the masturbation month, then you can invest in my company. <laughs> so I did. And I was thinking, oh, I'm okay. 
So in a way, she was saying to me, it's not just about sex for sure, because she's got the CBD message oil and the other mm -hmm. oil that is her own brand and the marketplace has many things. But she's about self-care. And uh, she was convincing me because she was saying to me that there are a lot of people single in this COVID period and, or having a lot of mental health issues. And mm -hmm. the part where you take care of your body and yourself, again, you come back to the education because she was saying that a lot of people have stopped to have any content about their body very early in their life and don't know a lot of things. And the fact that they have a relevant content helping people to find a way to communicate is, again, something super important. And very much as beauty is about self-esteem and self-confidence, and they play their role. And again, I come back to education. I think communities, it's sharing content and helping each other. There is a lot of solidarity and to have the relevant content for you as a, as a person and human being. Thinkers, innovators, experts. Generating ideas for the business of beauty. Beauty Matter has built its reputation as a must-read resource for beauty industry insiders delivering future-focused insights and actionable solutions. With the speed of innovation and increased competition in the category, access to the right analysis and intelligence is more critical than ever. Make an investment in yourself and unlock a competitive edge with a subscription to Beauty Matter. Head over to beautymatter.com to check out our content. And as a listener to our podcast, use the code UNLOCK25 for a 25% discount. You know, I don't know about you, but I think beauty and wellness have kind of, they've almost merged. I think they've become synonymous almost in kind of language and messaging. And we have, you know, forms like supplements that are on beauty shelves and it's accepted now, which, you know, that wasn't always the case. But I think that the next phase of this that interests me is how the health space, like the, the hardcore health space is being reinvented to look more like beauty and personal care. And, you know, when I think about it, I think of what's happened in oral care, where you have kind of tend reinventing what a visit to a dentist looks like. And it looks an awful lot like a millennial D2C brand and sort of teeth straightening and, and kind of taking healthcare and almost deconstructing it and turning them into a branding and marketing like a consumer good. And I think if we're healthier, obviously, it solves so many kind of bigger problems. But I don't know. I would love to have your take on it because I know that you invest in a, in a lot of wellness and technology. I was lucky enough the other day to come uh, to your point to meet Jill Angelo, the founder of Genève. And she's about uh, menopause and about having gynecologists, doctors. So she's got a subscription model with products, but first and foremost, they're coaching the person coming as a customer on the platform. So I'm about to invest. I can't say the name because it's not yet with the press release with a wellness company and well-being company with traditional Chinese medicine. And they're Asian-American, Chinese-American to be precise, living in California. They're about clean beauty, but it's exactly what you described. They're building a platform that is not only having the products, but also using the power and the knowledge and wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine doctors to help you in your path towards the beauty and wellness, which can be the diet, the sleep. There are so many people not sleeping well, practice a sport, feeling connected to yourself. 
And I love this exciting period, Kelly, about exactly what you described, this holistic approach of beauty. Not just, I put a skincare product or I put my makeup and I try to fix my hair, but more saying, hey, what do you do to you as a person and uh, how does it help you to be connected to the world and to be connected to others? I'm a user of the Calmer app and I think the future could mix, I will say, tech companies, more like uh, apps and mindfulness sessions, but also people as experts helping you and then live stream and connecting with others to have fun, for instance. There are a lot of exciting things coming in the beauty category. So it, it opens the mind and we can't now be in the mindset of having a product, just fixing one thing. It needs to be about the people, customer centric for real. And, you know, how important for you when when evaluating a potential investment is purpose? Because I think that it is, again, like community, one of those boxes that people check off, it, it gets thrown around a lot. But I think during this period of COVID, it's been clear that people, especially sort of Gen Z, expect brands to show up and do their part. And make the world a better place. And, you know, I think we've seen businesses who really filled the gap where government kind of was failing us. And I think these purpose-driven businesses, I have to believe that you can run a profitable business and do right by the world and your people who work for you and your community and your investors at the same time. I have to believe that's possible. I agree. <laughs> I wouldn't do what I do. So at the beginning, it's funny because David Yee, for instance, is an activist. And from time to time, I was challenging him, even during the Glossier period, because I admire a lot foreigner ventures and Emily Weiss. I was saying, are you sure of what you do about, you know, the culture? They were saying, yes, there was an investigation and I'm pretty sure of what I do. And then Emily Weiss apologized, etc. And they fixed what's going on. So when I said that, I think... Now, what is amazing with founders is that they're authentic and they share what they think, their beliefs, they're acting in the world. So uh, he was, for instance, coming back to him during the uh, elections, doing products to try to help Biden. For French people, politics and, and beauty has nothing to do. <laughs> uh, so for me, I learned a lot from them. You know, when, when you, we talk about the meetings, because they educate me to see things in a different way and to say that finally we don't, have one cap where it's professional and the other cap where we, we see our friends and we talk about things. So I never positioned Fab Ventures, for instance, about being female founders and minority founders as a first core uh, thesis of investment. I believe it's more exactly what you say about being about conscious beauty and conscious fashion and trying to impact the world for the better, to protect the planet, to protect the oceans, to protect our health and wellness, exactly like you described. To be aware that there is a broken culture in the U.S. and that we need to take care of our cognitive biases and to make sure that we try to respect each other. So I, I strongly believe in that. For instance, Bubble, when she uh, convinced me, it was not just about the line and the fact that she was on the uh, trendy Geneva platform that is private, where she was having a lot of traction and, and a great community. It was because she was investing in self-care and mental health for teens. And she was already exactly like you say about Gen Z obsessed by what she could do to fix things and that it's not just about skincare and acne it's about to feel good with who you were as a teenager and it's tough in a covid period 
It's funny that you say, you know, politics and beauty don't mix. I think I would agree with that. And I think it's also kind of made it very difficult for more traditional brands to navigate this past year because it's not easy. But when you know what you stand for, it's very easy to navigate a difficult situation because you trust your gut and you tell the truth and you have honest conversations. And I'm so inspired by these kind of more activist brands that we don't have a lot of them in the beauty space. I, This was, you know, when we still did things in person. I was at a big conference and it was across verticals and there was a beauty vertical and then there were a bunch of other verticals as well. And I went from Run Room where it was Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's talking about, you know, suing the president. And then I went to the beauty room and they were asking, well, you know, what's your version of wellness? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to go back to where they're suing the president. Like, what are we talking about, you know? Brands like Dr. Bronner's, you know, these activists beauty brands don't really exist, but I'm seeing more and more sort of younger brands that politics and what they believe are fully ingrained in their DNA. So, but it, it, it can be also small things, you know, for instance, K18, Akis Air, at the beginning of the COVID, they were just doing a donation online. And if you tag an hairstylist, he could receive a donation to try to help them. And at the same time, it was smart because not only they were doing good, but they had a lot of hairstylists saying, hey, I like your products, send them to me. Yeah. And then they become advocates for them and creating uh, affiliates, smart for the business. But first, they did it not for a, a business purpose. They did it because they were feeling so bad for a salon being closed and hairstylists being out of work. So I think each of us, we can make a difference, I will say. And uh, when I chose the people, I come back to the authenticity, exactly what you described. If I feel this energy and this true belief we can fix things, then I can invest. Yeah. So, you know, to say that we're living in interesting times would probably be a monumental understatement. But <laughs> I've started hearing a lot of people talking about a new roaring 20s. And personally, I think we've got some rough times ahead before that might manifest itself. But I'm incredibly optimistic and excited about the creativity and innovation this crisis has spurred. And you're working with a lot of these young founders that are kind of just rethinking how brands are built. What's your take on the future of the beauty category, you know, both in the short term and the long term? You know, what do you hope will change? Where do you see the opportunities? I was reading this morning an article about the uh, entertainment industry and Axios was mentioning that a lot of U.S. people are now using content from Korea, from France or Canada. I believe the beauty is the same. Uh, seeing this uh, fab community now in the COVID period where we can have people from Berlin or Shanghai at the same time as people in Madrid or uh, you know Austin, you can see the energy and the collective intelligence we've got that is far beyond what happened in the past. When I entered in the industry as a VC five years ago, they were pretty local. I would say New York was investing in New York and uh, San Francisco in San Francisco and LA in LA. Now, if you ask to people, uh, for instance, six that I mentioned is in Philadelphia. David is uh, with Michael in New York. I invest uh, in companies that are uh, in San Francisco or LA. So I believe the future will be multicultural leaders helping each other and different skills. Uh, Korea is pretty good, as you know, on devices. Germany is very rebel and, and very obsessed by organic, pure organic. 
France is very rigorous in their way to develop products. Um, I think if we take all of that, we can learn from each other. So I believe the future champions will be exactly like me traveling in the past in 135 markets, maybe not, but at least Asia, Tokyo, Seoul, or America. I believe that people will be very obsessed by understanding better the other cultures and not just where they live, in fact. I would agree. I have one sort of last question, and it's very timely, and I'm asking because I know that that you're very active on the app, and that's Clubhouse. So <laughs> listen, I don't know whether it's here to stay or not, but I do think that we're seeing the beginning you know, I think it started with podcasts, but I think audio as sort of a format for communicating is just getting started. So I'm curious about your thoughts on Clubhouse and sort of what it represents from a sort of a larger perspective, because I think the traction that it's getting also is indicative of people's desires for spontaneity and real conversations. But so I'm really curious about your thoughts on the platform and audio, but also what your experience has been. Interesting. As you say, I, I'm uh, addicted to Clubhouse. It's, it's two weeks. And before I was thinking, oh, it's a little snobbish with all my VC friends talking to each other. <laughs> but at the end, it's not just that. But there are two trends on Clubhouse. I would say the trends of like a radio. Uh, I was yesterday listening to Andres and Horowitz, the founders, talking to 5,000 people. It's, it's amazing, but at the same time, it's more like a radio, but just for you. The most interesting thing is exactly what you described. When you take a topic and very in, a, a deep dive on these topics and you've got the expert talking about it and people participating and asking questions, and then you learn a lot. I believe it's more interesting than just people talking to each other, doing the same thing. I've seen a lot of the French mafia, for instance, doing <laughs> meetings where they see each other and they talk to each other. I believe it's more interesting to learn a lot about curly hair, you know, in depth, or uh, makeup artists, how to work in this COVID period. And then you can have a deep dive on something and, and learn. So I'm pretty excited like you were about the future, but I believe what you have invented with the podcast, by the way, is also here to stay with a conversation that is casual because you don't have the replay, you don't have things that are more difficult to prepare and except for like your team and you, not all people can do that. So it's at reach for many people and easy for many people. So I, I, I believe it's here to stay. Yeah, I do too. I'm in the learning phase of Clubhouse. You know, when it first kind of got on my radar, the, my first reaction was like, oh my God, like another thing to do. <laughs> and I'm really curious, but I'm also cautious. So a friend hosted a room. I was like, okay, let's do this together. Let's figure it out. And it was really just the two of us because we didn't promote it. We, we were kind of like dipping our toes in. But a friend of mine who's a jewelry maker saw that I was on and doing this with another friend. And it was just the three of us. And there were two people that popped in and out. But the interesting thing was it was as if I was like walking through Soho, stopped to get a coffee and ran into my friend Karen and also happened to run into my friend Amy. And they met. And that literally happened on Clubhouse. Amy was giving Karen advice. And now Karen's going to Chic Studios to get her head shot done it was this like spontaneous moment that like you just don't have them right now it was cool 
Yeah, I miss that. I know. <laughs> so, by the way, welcome. We, we try to do the format with Fab Community. There is one about growth and one about fashion companies and sustainability uh, in March uh, 1925. And welcome. You know, I, I think we're, we're trying things exactly like you say. And the most interesting thing is to see if people are interested and then uh, adapt to that. Yeah. So do you have any predictions sort of for the next year ahead? It's still early and it almost <laughs> feels like someone used the example like I feel like 2020 had five quarters because <laughs> not not much has changed. But, you know, kind of in the short term, where are some trends you're seeing and some predictions you might have? I will say the good thing in the difficult times for entrepreneurs is they come back to build their community and to make sure that the experience is great. So I pretty much believe in what we say, fixing problems, self-care, self-confidence, trying to have a mix of knowledge, services and products and the holistic approach of beauty we mentioned. So uh, it's, it's pretty much what I will say about the future. Well, Odile, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and having this conversation. I always enjoy talking to you because, you know, so many times I, I feel like when we do these things, people are come with an agenda. And with you, it's just like, I'm here. <laughs> I just want to have a good conversation. And what are we going to talk about? And it's so refreshing. Such a um, And I always thank learn you. something. Thank <laughs> you for the invitation and, and for what you do, because I strongly believe in the belonging to some something and you create a lot of friendship professional friendship and you're very loyal in your relationship I remember when I talked to you five years ago about an article and uh, I love the fact that uh, it's a long-term relationship yes I agree and we've actually never met in person but we yet we still have this relationship and hopefully we can change that on on the other side of COVID but yeah thank you Odile we will definitely stay in touch thank you Kelly my pleasure For Odile, it's a matter of conscious living. Investing in underserved needs and amplifying the voices of female and minority founders has become Odile's mission. Her big business background sits uniquely at the intersection of beauty and technology, giving her a distinct edge at spotting the next visionary founder with a disruptive idea and a scalable concept. Three years ago, she founded a community, helping founders meet founders and investors that share the same vision. The fab fashion and beauty tech community began with 90 entrepreneurs and VCs across 17 nationalities and a culture for paying it forward. Odile believes we can all make a difference by sharing learnings, insights, being smarter together and raising our voices. She's creating a space for sharing ideas and investing in change makers that are building our future. So in the end, it's a matter of conscious living, and that's what matters. I'm Kelly Kovac. I'm Odile, and to me, what matters is conscious living. Conscious living is uh, founders trying to fix problems and uh, having uh, in mind how we impact the world and how we impact our health and wellness. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This
This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.